Grab your Bibles today, turn to the book of, excuse me, Romans chapter 5, and we'll start reading with verse 1. We're glad that you're here, those of you that are joining us on campus, those that are joining us through church at home, we are really thrilled that you're here. We're, We're excited about having this study with you through the book of Romans together. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1, in just a moment. So I thought about this this week, when something really joyous or joyful happens in your life. You know, maybe it's something that um, is extraordinary, like maybe you had a baby or something, or it's that you received a promotion, or maybe you're going to graduate from a, um, a higher level institution or, or some uh, academic discipline, or, or just maybe you are going to get a promotion at work. And, and so it's something that very joyous happens in your life. And so you have to ask this question, then how does that affect the rest of my life, you know? Those things that come along, and and they're not often, but how do those things affect the rest of my life? So maybe you're single, right? And maybe you're going to get married at some point, or you want to get married. So how does getting married, how does that change the rest of my life? And some of you say, oh, because it simply gives me someone to pick up after me uh, the rest of my life, right? And that's not what marriage is about. I found that out the first few days. That's not what that's about at all, no? So we have those moments in our life that affect the rest of our life. It's exactly what Paul is talking to us about in Romans chapter 5, as we're going to read in a moment. Because last week we went over, we under, came, came to an understanding of a word called justification. And justification simply means it's a judicial word. And what it means is this, that you and I are counted by God as being innocent, never have sinned before because of the work of Christ within our life. So that is justification. So where does justification lead? If justification is one of those joyous moments within our lives, then where does it lead us? What's the consequence of that? And what we find today in Romans chapter 5, the consequence of justification in my life is a word called simply reconciliation. And you say, we're having all these Asian words again, right? Yes. So it's justification, reconciliation. Reconciliation means that I am been returned to right standing with God. And so what happens is through the sacrifice of Christ, through justification in my life, that what happens is that I'm returned to that relationship with God like Adam had that relationship with God, that how God returns that to our lives and our relationship with him. And then in a moment, what we're going to read is that what that results, what that results in, in my life and your life is peace with God. And, and when I say peace, boy, that's something that we really, it kind of perks up our ears because it's something that we need. There's a lot of turmoil in the world. I don't know if you've looked at that or not. You know, turn on the news or read uh, something online. There's a great deal of unrest in the world today. You say, yeah, in other kind. No, no, there is unrest around us, surrounding us, in our communities, in our cities, in this nation. So it's something that we like to talk about right now. Is that a peace? And so when I began to read this, I thought, man, what a great text for this morning for us to share together. Because what I realized is that this peace with God is a result of our salvation, that redemption uh, experience with the Lord. It's a result of our justification as if we've never sinned before, that we're made innocent before God. And that of our reconciliation, that we have this right standing with God. And so the result of that is peace with God. Let me read to you Romans chapter 5 starting with verse 1, and we're going to cover five verses this morning because that's all the time that we're going to have. And it says, therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There it is, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And you say, Mark, read that again. Did you read that right? Is that what it actually says up there on the screen? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's exactly what it says. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. By the word shame, you can write disappoint because it's the same word. It does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And he starts this text off with the word therefore. And so I simply wrote the question, what is therefore therefore, right? And, and why, why does he start out, start out with therefore? Because it infers a process. It infers a process for my life and your life. And we talk about that of not perfection but process all the time. Well, this is where these thoughts come from. It's a process. It's something that's taken place in my life that is joyous, that, that is life-changing. And because of that thing that's taken place within my life, then there is subsequent react or actions or reactions to that thing that's taken place within my life. It starts with that of my salvation and then what it does, it moves to that of my justification with God. And then it moves to my reconciliation with God. And then it comes here to this part where it says that we simply have peace with God. It's this process within our lives. And when you begin to read through Romans, there's a lot of therefores. There's a lot of very important therefores that you and I can read about throughout the book of Romans. Because it simply brings us to this point. That when Christ comes into our life, when there's this change within us, when we are redeemed and when we are justified and we are, we are reconciled with God, that it changes everything about us. That is exactly what he's teaching us. We started from the beginning saying that, well, actually we quoted that of Martin Luther, uh, the father of the modern day Reformation, in simply saying that Romans is about Christian living. And we're not sure that you can really live that life for Christ, unless you have a really good understanding or you have read the book of Romans. So I'm a very linear thinker. And so this is the way I see this process happening in our lives. It starts with God's love. God loves us. I mean, he loved us before we ever loved him. Isn't that right? That's what scripture teaches us. So God loves us. The mediator of God's love toward you and I is Christ. So he sends Christ to express his love for you and I. And so by that comes redemption, that we realize our need for forgiveness in God. And so God chooses us. We don't choose him. He loves us first. So then there is redemption that takes place in our life. And after redemption, there is justification that takes place within our lives. And that is that, that I'm seen in the eyes of God because of my covering in Christ, that I am innocent as I have never sinned before. That I am absolutely innocent. It's more than just being found not guilty, but yet that I am innocent. Now, I have to stop for a moment after justification and say this to you. It's not about your works. It's not about you checking off the boxes. It's not about how good you are. You know, it's not about your perfection in life. In fact, if all of this starts out with love, then what I realize is that all of these things are a gift of grace from God. And so I don't earn any of those things. So then after justification, I, 
I find that what takes place in my life is reconciliation, that God restores me to this right relationship uh, with, with God. It's an amazing thing. So what happens is this, that as God walked with Adam before sin, then simply God walks with me. And so I have this right relationship with God, and that results in peace with God. Sometimes we forget that Romans is a letter to a church in Rome. A church that is extremely imperfect like you and I. A church that really has a lot of issues and a lot of struggles. That's why it's so important for us to read this. They're well on the dirt road of sanctification that we call it our growth in God. And and so what we realize is this, and I say this before we really get started this morning, that real church is messy. Can I tell you that? Real church is messy because real church is full of sinners. Real church is full of people on this road of sanctification. And it's a dirt road with a lot of holes and a lot of rocks and a lot of places that we trip at times within our lives. So real church is messy. And so here is the thing. If you ever discover a perfect church, please do not attend that church because you're going to mess it up. Yeah, you really, you're going to mess it up for them, right? Everything that they've worked for, you're going to mess it up because you're highly imperfect. And I say, if you ever attend a church that thinks they're perfect, then you should really run, right? Absolutely don't want to be a part of that because we know what scripture teaches us. And when I really read these verses, and if you read all the verses 1 through 11, which we're not going to cover all of them this morning, that you find that Paul uses the word we. And he uses the word we all the time. And here's why he does that, because it's a rhetorical bridge. And what I mean by a rhetorical bridge is this, that he connects the writer with the reader. That's the beautiful thing about Romans is he connects the writer with the reader. This is so important for you and I to grasp this morning because both sin and salvation has touched our lives. Both sin and salvation has touched our lives. And because of that, we're never going to be the same. That we're changed. We're changed by the power of God within our lives. And when I look at that, what I realize that when I am changed by the power of God within my life, that it affects everything from that point on exponentially. It does. It changes everything about me and the way I see things and the way I love people and the way I approach life. It changes all of those kinds of things. So let's look at it a little deeper together. Back to Romans chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, I underline that part. We have peace with God. I underline that because we really need some peace with God today through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him who has have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the first thought is this, that we have peace with God. It's a general sense of well-being is what he's talking about. And I think that's powerful because something that only God can bring within our lives. In the early church, they always connected that of peace with God with that of the end times and the return of Christ. And so it was the promised peace that Christ would bring when he returns and he makes all things right. And yeah, I believe that, but I want to build on that a little bit this morning for you and I living in 2020 2020 has been a crazy year, has it not? And, and guess what? It's not over yet. Isn't that right? There is more to come. And so it's been a really wild year for us, something that we have never experienced before. 
And so we need some peace now within our lives. And when I read chapter 5, Paul talks a lot about this of reconciliation, that my place with God, that my sins have been forgiven, my guilt has been removed by the power of God in, in my life, I've been made right with God, and this peace from God comes from a work of God within me. So when I read this, what I realize is this, that Jesus is, is not only the means of our salvation, and I think sometimes we stop there, right? That we came to Christ and he chose us and he has forgiven us and so that's it. And that's, that's kind of where I live and that's it. But not only is he the means of our salvation, but also this text tells us he's the Lord of our lives. And that means that God is in control of every moment of my life. That God is in control. That there's no peace apart from him. And in understanding that, oh, that brings peace to every space of my life. It brings peace to every space of my life. Yes, and since that peace is a direct result of Christ's work of justification, of, of, of reconciliation within my life, that, that experience that I have with God, it changes everything about me. It changes every moment of my life. It does. This peace that I find in God is founded in my position in him that, that I am no longer lost, but he's found me. That I'm no longer simply um, an orphan, as, as he would call us or refer to us before Christ, but yet I've been adopted by him, that, that I belong to him, that I am his child. It touches every area of my life. God is not talking about some subjective feeling that rushes into my heart every time things go well for me in life, that I have peace because things are going great. No, no, this is a peace based upon two things. One, who God is, and the other is what God has done in my life. And that positions me so powerfully within him. It's through that of salvation, that justification, that reconciliation, that this peace that we find is this objective reality in God. So let me talk to you about peace for a moment. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful subject because I think we... We struggle and search for it, but we don't always know what we're searching for because here it is. It's more than a feeling. Yeah, it's more than a feeling. That's a song, isn't it? Isn't that right? Yeah, I could break out in the words just came to my mind. It's more than a feeling, but feelings are important. They are important. But here's the thing about the way you feel. It comes and goes. It changes all the time. So let's take a little survey this morning. You know this has to come at some point. This is an interactive group. So how many of you... Here's the thought. Maybe this is embarrassing. I don't know. But uh, here's the deal. How many of you have ever been in love? Raise your hand if you've ever been in love. Let me, maybe it's a puppy or whatever. I don't know. But you've ever been in love. Okay, put your hands up. Put your hands up. Maybe the person sitting next to you, put your hands down. They came to church with you. You've been thinking about them. They've been thinking about you. What a great time, isn't it? Isn't it a perfect time for that? Yes. So here's the other question. How many of you have ever fallen out of love? Raise your hand if you've ever fallen out of love. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, we have some honest people in here. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, if you're here with like a date or you're here with your spouse and they're looking at you and they're going to say, are you not talking about me? Are you right? This, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, an awkward time. It's about feelings. They change. And, and what I understand is this is about the reality of our standing with God is what this is about this morning. It's where we find peace. Listen, God's goal it's not to give you some therapeutic type of 
feeling about peace. That's not God's goal at all here. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the result of our justification, our reconciliation at peace with God. It's not some therapeutic feeling of peace. Because for some of you, you have those areas in your life where you have these therapeutic moments for peace in your life. For some of you, it's yoga. It it really is. And and can I tell you, I have not tried it. I'm afraid that I would break. I, I really am. Yeah, it would like doing yoga with a pretzel. It's going to break at some point. For some of you, it's running. You get out and run to find peace. I only run if I'm being chased. So I don't understand that a lot, right? Yes, and some of you say, well, it's about if you have a motorcycle, people always say, that's where I find peace in my life is to get out and get on my motorcycle and just ride. But you know what? I used to have a motorcycle and what I was always doing was trying to keep myself from being run over by everybody else, right? So there's not a lot of peace. Some of you are saying peace is bourbon, right? Yes, uh-huh. Don't raise your hand. Okay, hang on. This It's okay though. It's fine. And, and some of you, I have to you know, kind of hit everybody here this morning. And some of you say that peace is essential oils, right? Do you know that essential oil people, they're a cult? Did you know that, right? Yes. Oh, I broke my arm. Wait a minute. Let me mix up some thieves and some peppermint and, and, and some something else. And let me remember. See, better, isn't it? No, it isn't, right? I'm just kidding. Goff, frustrating, you know, right? And, and reading, oh, that's good. That works. Hiking, that's fine. Uh, we're in South Carolina. So some of you say, I get peace by hunting, Right? Let me kill something, and that gives me peace, right? You need to go back to the therapeutic thing, I think, probably for a little while. Yes. It's not about feelings. They're important, but we're not talking about that today. The actuality of peace for you and I today, what Paul is talking about for us this morning from chapter 5, is the reality of what God has done within my life that places me in the right position with him. Because when I think about this and not being feelings, what I realize is this, that Jesus just didn't feel our pain, but yet he carried our pain to the cross. He just didn't simply feel our brokenness. He became our brokenness on the cross. That this is about actual peace with God when our world around us is on fire. So can we talk for a moment? You say, Mark, you've been talking for a while now. You might as well keep going. Yeah, I know. Can we talk about this? Because we look to our feelings for assurance is what we do. We look to our feelings for assurance. Can I really talk to you for a moment? I may never get even through five verses. I don't know. But I think this is a time to talk about some stuff today. Because some of you look to your feelings for assurance of peace in your life. You do. So here is the thing. If my candidate wins on, Mark, you shouldn't talk about politics from the stage. You shouldn't do that. Hang on. Put a seatbelt on for just a moment. Because it's all, it's on your minds. So we might as well talk about it. If my candidate wins there on November the 3rd, then I'm going to really feel good about that. And that's going to give me a lot of peace within my life. Then my question is, is your peace secured in a candidate? And if it is, then you have maybe, you know, just about, and I know there are others, but you have about a 50-50 chance of having peace on that day. Isn't that true? That is the reality of, of what we're, we're looking at and talking about. That it, that's it, yes. 
For some of you, maybe, you know, if you've been thinking about asking somebody out on a date or whatever, then, then you think, man, if she would go out with me, then though that's going to make me feel really good about myself. And that's going to really simply give me some peace within my life. But here's the thing. You, first, you've got to get up the courage to ask her, right? Yes, you've got to start there. Paul says that we have peace with God. It's not based on, well, God feels really good about me today, so then I'm going to have peace from him. It's based on what he has done and where I am in him is what Paul is teaching us today. It's not based on the absence of trouble within my life. It's not based upon God annihilating all the enemies of my life. And some of you say, well, I've been praying for that, but God has yet to kill everybody that really gets on my nerves. So that it's not about that at all. It's not about everything going right around you today. No, it's who I am in Christ. It's who I am in Christ. So that leads us to this conversation, which Paul simply says in this verse that we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And when I read that, I thought, what does that really mean? The word access, does that mean that when we come in here and we worship and we share the word together? Does that simply mean that we gain presence with God? And, and yeah, it means that, but it means more. But when I looked at the word access, not to be so academic, but what that word means, it means that it's an entrance into a chamber of a king. It's the entrance into the chamber of a king. And when I thought about that, I thought, well, people just don't walk into the chamber of the king, right? First of all, you got to have a right standing with the king. You got to be known by the king. You got to have a relationship with him. You, you simply have to, you know, maybe be part of his family to be able to enter before the king into his, his royal chambers. And when I thought about this, I thought, this is about my approach to God. This is the way I approach God. You know, that how do we approach him? Sometimes we approach him as strangers. Oh, we're all guilty of that probably. Sometimes we approach him as his children. We do that. This is the realm in which I approach God is what he's talking about. And Paul has laid this foundation for you and I to know that where we are in him through faith and grace and our position in him. So how do you feel? It's a huge question. How do you feel when you go to God? How, how, how do you feel? And we could probably just go around the room and say, okay, tell me how you feel when you go to God. And we'd have all these kinds of different answers. But I think that some of you probably feel like he disapproves of you. So to have access with God, you kind of have to negotiate with him when you go to him. You, all of a sudden you say, God, here I am. But you know, God, I, I did that thing. And, and, and Lord, I, I know you're aware of that. So, so here's the thing. I promise you that I won't do that again, at least for six months anyway. So I promise I won't do that again, God. And we negotiate our presence with the Lord. Some of you maybe go to him like somehow that you are always begging for something from him. And so that's always the verbiage that you use when you go to God as if somehow you have to plead with God and beg with God and make promises to God for God to even grant you an audience. Or do you come to him? Here's the thought. With the awareness of your position in him. What is your position? That you're forgiven? Yes. That you're justified through him? That you are reconciled through him? And that you have peace in him. You see Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's who we belong to. And I realize that man life can be disappointing. Boy there are a lot of disappointments in life. There really are. 
And, and what I realize is disappointing at times, sometimes daily. And, and God, what I realize too about life is that sometimes God doesn't do what we think that he should do, right? And there are times when God doesn't take away the cancer. And there are times when God does not do things exactly the way we want him to do. And God does not repair a broken marriage or an injustice is not corrected with God. There are those moments in life. Does that mean that we're without peace? Does that mean that we're without hope in God? No, because our peace is based upon what God has done. And our position is in him. And that glory or that hope is based in his glory. So what I realize is this. It's not based upon what goes on around me. But it's based upon what he's done in my life and who I am in him. That's what Paul is teaching us. Look at verse 3. Not only that we rejoice in, not only that, but he says we rejoice in our sufferings. He, he, he told us before that we rejoice in peace and grace, but now we have another reason to rejoice. That we're rejoicing in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And so here's the second thought, living in the already but not yet the already that we are redeemed, that Christ has come, paid for our sins, and we are forgiven. The not yet that Christ has not returned for the second, with the second advent, and that, that is the consummation of our, our redemption, that it is complete at that point. So living in the already but not yet, there will be challenges to our peace, our hope, and our joy. It's simply what he's saying. And so when I read this, what I realized is this. Hey, we have hope. We have hope that Christ has promised us that he will return and he will make everything right and he will fix everything in the world that's broken. And we also have peace that is based upon simply who he, who he is, what he's done in my life, and where I am in position with him in my relationship. And what I realize that hope and peace, we can have it now. That's exactly what he's teaching us. It's not something that we just wait for when he returns. It's not something that he's just going to bring to us when he comes and fixes everything in the world. But it's for you and I now, in our life today, is what he's saying. That we have it now. So how does that practically work out in my life? Good, I'm glad you asked that. Because here's how it works out. We rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering. That doesn't mean, listen, that does not mean that I'm happy just because things are really going terrible in my life. Yes. Oh, God, send more terrible days, please. You know, I'm rejoicing in this. No, you don't have to beg for those, do you? They just come naturally as part of our broken world. You don't have to ask for those. But when I read this, what I realized, I draw two conclusions when he's talking about suffering. He's talking about sufferings that believers will experience in the end times. Is what he's saying. That what he's saying is this. You're going to be persecuted for your faith. And can I tell you, the closer you and I get to the end of this, of this life, of this world, before Christ returns, however that looks, whatever you believe in that area about his return and how that looks, but he will return the second advent the closer we get to that moment, the greater you and I will be persecuted for our faith. Understand that. That's truth. But I realize also he's talking about general suffering within my life. It's what I deal with every day. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this. And I, I read this because it sets the stage for us to simply tie all these ends together this morning. He says, in this you rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been 
Greed by various trials. Yeah, that's the time that we're living in. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know or do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of joy that I'm doing all of that while suffering, he said, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can I make something really obvious again? We're not talking about being happy in our suffering. That's not what this is about, right? Like, woohoo, things are really bad, so I'm gonna rejoice. That's not what he's talking about at all. What he's talking about is the focus of the purpose of our suffering. He's talking about what it results in within my, our life. What Peter talks about here, that it's golden. That it's simply golden when we feel we're under the heat of life. That it purifies our life. And it brings something into our life that nothing else can in that way. God's goal is not to ruin you. Understand that. God's goal is to refine you. And there's a huge difference between the two. God's goal is to increase our faith. Not to destroy our faith, simply to bring you and I to this God-centered and God-dependent way of life. So no matter how great the suffering is in your life, understand this. It produces something far more valuable and greater than anything you will ever suffer through in life. It will. The results are always greater than the suffering. So what do I do? When things get rough in my life, I detach myself from the world, right? I close myself off. Man, I, I, I stay at home or I don't talk to people or I, I, don't want to, I don't want to invest in anybody's life because I'm going to get hurt. And that's not what he's teaching us all. In fact, what I realize about this suffering, it happens when I do life with you day to day. That I immerse myself in the world and I immerse myself in your life. And you do the same within my life also, knowing that it's going to have pain. that I experience life and I love people and, and, and I feel pain even more deeply. And I, I think one thing that, that COVID-19 has, has done to our culture and, and, and it's, it is, yes, dangerous in many ways, but yet I think one of the, the many, many dangers of, of this virus is that it has separated us from each other. It, it has simply made us very cautious of one another. It has, it has made us keep distance apart. I was in the store uh, this week and Reva and I were getting something and somebody passed me and, and I, I nodded my head at them and, and I smiled at them and then I walked by and realized I have a mask on. They don't even know I smiled at them. They don't even have an idea that I smiled at, at them at all. And, and, and this is not a sermon about whether you wear or whether you don't. That's not what this is about at all. But I think what this is about is our tendency when things get really rough in our life to withdraw from the world because we don't want to get hurt. And what I realize in pain of my life and in those sufferings of my life is actually when I grow and I'm purified. You make me better. Even when you're grumpy and grouchy and hard to get along with, you even make me better. You do. Yes. That's what he's saying. So here's what he's saying. Our suffering produces endurance. That God is up to something in your life, in the suffering of your life. He's up to something. 
And what he's doing, he's building in you the ability to remain faithful. That's exactly what he's talking about here. It's ability to keep going in your life when you don't feel that you're receiving any benefits from your faith at all. And we have those moments when you keep going, when nothing seems to be going in your favor. And what I realize is this, that suffering triggers endurance. Suffering triggers endurance. And I'm not sure that you can have endurance within your life without simply it being triggered by suffering. It triggers endurance within our lives. And then he says this, endurance produces character. It's character produced by testing within our lives. It's what Peter says about gold and how it's purified. And when gold is put to heat, then what happens? All the heavy metal stays to the bottom. All the light stuff that's not gold goes to the top. And then the the purifier, they rake that stuff off the top. And then you have pure gold. And so what I realize is a character produced by testing. And what is the best way to test our character? It's the number one crucible of life, and that is relationships. That is that we rub shoulders with one another because sometimes there is a place in our life for some sandpaper. That we have rough edges that need to be refined. And we do that to one another. And that's how we work. And what I realize is this. That's how we navigate our differences. And we have a lot of differences. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, right? We have had a lot of, we have a lot of differences. We do. We have differences that are political we have differences that are ideological about life environmental issues and i'm not talking about global warming either but i'm talking about where you come from and the way you see life and how you were raised Uh, we have theological differences and what i realize is this that my character my character is not refined in a classroom and my character is not refined even with me coming up front after service and you praying over me but my character is refined by you and i rubbing shoulders together Because it makes my life pure. Not perfect, but pure. And then he said this. That it's about tested character produces hope. And when I thought about this, we talked about Abraham last week, you know, for a while. And and Abraham, in, in, in hope, he believed it said that he would be the father of many nations through the promise Isaac. That suffering and endurance and tested character is all centered on you and I believing that God will do what he said he would do. And, and here's, here's what I, I, I believe this means to you and I, that God allows us to experience how sufficient he is. God allows you and I to experience how sufficient he is when we really realize how insufficient we are. I have to have those moments. So lastly, and I I finished with verse five, it says this, and hope does not put us to shame, never disappoints, same meaning, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us that hope never disappoints. Every other hope, every other hope outside of Christ has the propensity in our life to disappoint us. It does. Every hope. But this hope that we find in Christ is sealed by, guaranteed by, the love of God being poured out in our hearts. So, as we get ready to pray together, let me say this to you. 
Some of you sitting here are optimists, right? You're optimists. And, and optimism is simply believing that tomorrow will be better just because it's tomorrow. That's optimism, right? Some of you are living life like, well, you know, I've heard people say this, if it doesn't kill me, then it's going to make me stronger. So bring it on, you know, kind of deal. And what I realize is that there are moments in our lives, even when we're wounded, whether it's emotionally or other ways that we don't heal. There are things in our lives And I thought about culture a lot this week. There are things in our lives that we can't exercise our our way out of. And that's a big deal in our culture. There are things that we can't medicate ourselves out of. There are things in your life today that you can't drink yourself out of. There are things that you are facing today that you just can't be positive enough over to bring change to it. That's reality. Because at some point in this life, you're going to be overcome. That's truth. At some point, you're going to be overcome. Life is going to be overwhelming for you. And that doesn't really know age or economic brackets or ethnicity. It covers us all. And Paul knows that. And Paul says that in the work of Christ in your life and in your position in God because of grace, he says that you and I have peace with God and then he ends by saying that we have a hope that never disappoints because through God we have been lavished in his love, undeserving but yet lavished in his love. And you will never love yourself to that degree. And you will never find anyone else that will love you to the degree that God loves you. So I'm redeemed. If you're walking with Christ today, then you're redeemed. You're justified as if you've never sinned before. You are reconciled. You've been placed in right standing with God through Christ. You have peace with God. Not a peace that's a a, a feeling of euphoria, but a peace that's based upon who God is and what God has done in your life. And then you have hope based in his glory that he will return and he will make everything right again and he will correct all injustices in life. But I love Paul's writings because he says but let me bring this down to where you live right now for a moment okay he said you're going to have suffering but that suffering is not without purpose that suffering brings endurance in your life so that you can keep the faith and then you have tested character within your life that God is going to show you how sufficient he is by 
sometimes reminding you of how insufficient you are. And in the end, he says, you have a hope that never disappoints. So tomorrow I can get up and I can be concerned, yes. I can go home today and still have the things on my reminder list on my phone that I have to face next week, yes. I'm not saying that when you leave here, all those things will disappear. But what I'm saying to you is this. I can face those with a peace with God that nothing in this world can take from me. And I can approach this life with a hope that never disappoints, no matter what happens in the world. Because God is not only the means of my salvation, but he's the Lord of my life. He's in control of all things. And so I trust him. So for a moment, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes as a way of just closing out any distractions around you. And let me pray for you and with you for a moment. Father, I am thankful that you speak to us through your word. And there's nothing like your word powerfully relevant immensely moving for our hearts because God you know where we are and you know what we're experiencing and what we're facing things that are of not our choose choice but there are some things that we have chose that we face but we know in you God because of our right standing in you because of grace not our works that you have brought us peace. You have brought us hope. And you brought us a hope that never disappoints. So, Father, we leave here with maybe a firmer foundation within our lives. We leave here, God, with a greater trust. We leave here feeling that our hand is clasped securely within yours, God. though we may not be able to control the things in our future we can control who we place our trust in and we place our trust in you Lord because you bring us peace you bring us hope in your glory and you bring us a hope that never disappoints us so thank you Father for that So today we surrender fear. Today we surrender worry. Today we surrender those moments of our lives that we have very little, if any, control over. And we say, God, not only you are the means of our salvation, but you're the Lord of our lives. And so we trust you today.